Welcome to the SA for FA's Retirement Advisor Podcast, a series that addresses issues of importance to financial advisors when dealing with the preeminent issue on their clients' minds, namely their desire for financial independence. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich, and today we are going to get the perspective of a veteran advisory industry executive, Bob Carroll, who oversees the retirement plan market for MassMutual a company that predates the Civil War. With decades of personal experience and a long institutional perspective to share, Bob Carroll, thank you for joining our show. Thank you, Gil. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, It's a pleasure for me and for our listeners. Well, let's start here. We have seen big changes in the past half year that surely impact your business. The SECURE Act has expanded access to retirement plans, whereas the coronavirus has reduced the number of people who are employed. What are you seeing out there? Well, Gil, 2020 has been quite the year so far. The year started off with the passing of the SECURE Act, the two major components with regards to income possibilities and getting those into a plan, and then also with the capabilities to do open MEPs and PEPs. But the industry quickly shifted because of COVID in March and the passing of the CARES Act to an immediate reaction to a national emergency. So the SECURE Act that everybody was quite excited about, there's still a lot of work going on in the background as people prepare for some assemblance and return to normalcy. And we can get back to the components that everybody was so excited about, but at hand is the CARES Act. And there are a number of things that are still going on that are just critical, not only for our business, but just for every American who's been participating in a plan and is in some type of financial hardship due to the pandemic and the financial implications that that's caused. So we've done a number of different things with regards to the CARES Act. We're working on a number of things with regards to the SECURE Act, and I'm happy to go into any type of detail that you'd like me to. Please do. Maybe we'll start this way. You mentioned that you want to get back to normal, you know, once uh, some of these challenges pass. What are you doing to help your advisors tend to the vineyards of workplace retirement plans? So there are a number of things that we did immediately based on the COVID outbreak to assist not only our financial advisor, but our TPA partners in servicing and helping our plan sponsors and ultimately their employees and the participants, depending on where they are. So a couple of the things that we did, first, we took an opt-in approach to the CARES Act. And really what that meant is that we allowed each individual employer to choose whether they wanted to enact the elements of the CARES Act. We've had very, very positive reaction to that, not only from our clients, but from the advisors who we service and work with in order to take care of those particular plans. And we've had a pretty divergent reaction to employers who wanted to enact the CARES Act and then some who chose not to for their specific reasons. The next thing we did was because this is such a hardship and something that none of us have ever experienced, we waived all the transaction fees associated with people who are going to need a loan or a hardship withdrawal specific to their account. 
if they're in that level of financial hardship and Congress took this drastic action to pass the CARES Act to make sure that people are financially stable and can access resources that they've put away, we didn't want to further encumber them through fees. Not only did we waive our fees, but the vast majority of plans that we have in the small plan marketplace under $25 million work with third-party administrators, independent firms that do administration on those plans. We didn't want to put our primary administrative partners in a hardship because a lot of them are small businesses as well and are dealing with a lot of the same issues that our clients are dealing with. We stepped in and we are going and did actually make sure that their fees were waived so the participant didn't have to incur a transaction fee for a distribution if the TPA needed that. But we paid that fee so the TPA continued to get that revenue and the participant didn't incur that cost. So not only did we step up and try to be a phenomenal partner to the advisors and our primary distribution source in not only selling but servicing plans, but wanted to make sure that our small business partners and third party were secure financially but that participants were not impacted financially due to this pandemic and the financial hardships. There are a number of other things that we've done specifically to make sure that we are communicating, 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 communicating to all of our constituents, whether that's an advisor, a consultant, a TPA, an employer, or a participant. So, Our relationship management and client management teams have been provided and are carrying a lot of wide variety uh, materials, webcast topics from uh, helping them with fiduciary changing obligations, regulatory obligations that have changed. And we've provided that in a number of different articles, podcasts. Not only have we utilized a lot of the expertise that we have internally and are really deep sophisticated uh, employee bench, but we've actually reached out to a number of third-party experts in the marketplace, brought them to bear so that we can get a very rounded perspective and try to provide as much value as possible. But you've had companies really triaged into three specific groups or three broad groups, I would say, on what's going on. You have, first and foremost, were you an essential business or a non-essential business? And in those, you had essential businesses that ended up in basically one of two camps. An essential business that was actually overwhelmed with the amount of business that they had. So grocery stores, hospitals, medical uh, establishments where they actually saw the demand And the reliance on their workforce grow and grow substantially to where they just needed any type of help they could get with running their business administratively because all resources were going to the front lines in order to make sure that things got taken care of. Then you've got essential businesses like our business, the financial services business, accounting firms, legal firms, where we all of us immediately shifted to a work from home environment which we did very quickly. Quickly, within a week, 95% of our people were working from home and uh, up and running with no disruption in service, just like a lot of other firms. But those firms actually did find some more time to handle maybe some administrative tasks that had been on the sideline before COVID came in. And we've actually seen a lot of those firms come back and review what they've been doing with not only uh, their services to clients, but what they're doing with their benefit packages. 
Then you've got the non-essential businesses. And in the majority of those cases, you have people that have been laid off, need help, are looking for advice on what to do, are desperate for what our financial advisor partners do best, which is give people good advice on what they need to do in financial situations, whether they're in a prosperous situation or whether they are currently in an emergency situation. And one of the taglines that we've been utilizing throughout this entire pandemic is we are financial first responders. We have and thank all of our healthcare first responders and the people who are taking care of getting us deliveries and taking care of getting us food throughout this. But the financial implications of this are wide and deep. And the financial advisor industry are the financial first responders in this in order to make sure people can actually pay their bills, take care of their families, whether they're in an essential business or a non-essential business. Could you tell us more about the demographics of mass mutual plan participants? Yeah. So the demographics of our participants are the demographics of America. We are extremely proud to serve what we refer to as all Americans. Our demographic service, not only small businesses from companies that are starting a retirement plan for the first time to plans that have tens of thousands of employees and billions of dollars, And we go across all market segments, whether it's a corporate entity, whether it's a government entity, whether it's a union that needs to be served. So the demographics are far and wide, and we have an extremely diverse participant base that we serve. But the fundamentals of what people are looking for hold true across all those demographics. People want to be financially secure. They want to know that they're going to be able to have the retirement that they're looking for. They want to be able to juggle the bills and demands of today versus their future tomorrow. So the education that we provide, not only directly, whether it's on a website through in-person education, if we can get back to that, virtual education has literally blown up to where we are doing virtual education, advisor meetings, plan reviews, and doing hundreds and hundreds of them a month across the country to make sure that participants do know what they need to do, not only to juggle the demands of today, so that they can have that bright future of tomorrow. And that's the fundamental issue for every participant Regardless of whether you're at that startup company and looking to build you know, the future of America or whether you're at a very well-established organization that has a history as long as we do, whether you're unionized, non-unionized, you work for a government that services all of us, the fundamental need of what people are looking for in retirement is the same. One hears a lot about Americans not being adequately prepared for retirement. When you look across America, as you refer to your client base, can you comment on their level of preparation? I would say that the range of preparedness for our participant base is as you would expect. You have people that are extremely prepared, but have the incomes to do that. And you have lower income individuals who struggle to manage that day-to-day need versus that future tomorrow. And what we try to do through some of the programs that we have. One of them, Map My Finances, provides 
every participant with the capability on how to juggle their financial situation so that they can actually meet the needs of what they do today, whether that's just paying their rent, their mortgage, a car payment, paying so that their kids can go to you know baseball or they want to go out with some friends on the weekend versus establishing an emergency savings account, saving for retirement. And we do have an issue across the entire country. Our participant base is so large that it would be a great index for that across the across the country where we have people who are eligible to participate in a plan and they still don't. And they know they need to, they just don't think they can. Our job is to educate them that even a small dollar amount to get started today, even if it's $5, will build and help them into the future. But I think one of the biggest things that's come out of this current crisis, Gil, is that people really need to have an emergency savings account. And we've all seen the stats on a very large portion of the U.S. population doesn't even have $400 saved for an emergency. And this crisis over the last three months has done nothing but put a spotlight on retirement is critical and the CARES Act because that can be utilized as an emergency fund. We hope it never is. But if you've saved for that, you can access that money if you absolutely need to. But the capabilities to help somebody establish an emergency savings account to get them through short-term obstacles has never been so apparent as it is today with more than 30 million people unemployed and applying for unemployment insurance. And one of the things that we try to do through our programs, through our financial advisors, is really get people to understand how to balance that, but within the budget that they actually have. So the programs that we would provide would have somebody who makes $25,000 a year and give them some really good education on how they might be able to establish an emergency savings account, take care of what their obligations are today and what they want to do, and still achieve some semblance of a retirement out into the future. And that would be the same regardless of what the income was, whether it was $25,000 or $100,000 for that individual. So the programming is very sophisticated to help people manage through the income level that they have and not give them education or some direction that would be completely unachievable based on their individual circumstances. Participants are looking for education. They're really looking for help and advice. Anytime I speak to an advisor, anytime I speak to an employer, anytime I speak to a participant, the vast majority of America just wants help with this. They aren't interested in becoming financial experts. If they were, they would have got into our business, but they're doing something else. So they're looking and relying on us as an industry to give them good direction on what to do, how to do it so that they can achieve their objectives. And our model, working with independent financial advisors, is really set up to help every American, regardless of income, Let's talk a little bit more about advisors. What's the main thing advisors can do to help clients that they're not currently doing? So the main thing that advisors can do that they're not currently doing, and I think the vast majority of them have started doing this, but there are still advisors who may be trying to figure out exactly how to react in this current environment. And it gets back to Communicate, communicate, communicate. We cannot over-communicate in this particular situation. 
And for them specifically, our advice is don't assume that that plan sponsor or specifically those participants are okay and don't need your help. You're far better off to reach out to all of them and offer that. Let them know that you are there and available and let them tell you that they're okay and aren't in that need at this point. The reactions that advisors are currently getting from that proactive reach out are paying not only significant dividends with their current relationships, but will pay significant dividends down the road. The other thing that they need to do if they aren't fully embracing it is embrace virtual. So if you haven't completely gravitated towards Zoom, if you haven't completely gravitated toward Teams, if you haven't redesigned your approach to how you do your meetings and your interactions in a virtual setting through a computer and on a screen versus what you've done for the past 5, 10, 20, 30 years, however long you've been in the business, you have to take a very different approach to how you do things on a Zoom meeting or a virtual meeting than you do in person. Not only because uh, people's attention spans are differently, the way that they interact on that, not being able to read body language from time to time, it is a very different skill they need to invest into for themselves and for their clients so that that time spent is valuable to everybody. On the basis of your many meetings with advisors, Bob, could you share any rubber-meets-the-road anecdotes of advisor-client successes? Yeah, I'll just give you one thing that happened in April, and it was in one of the areas of the country that was hit really hard by COVID. And these are advisors who are competitors. There was a group of four of them and the managing director who works for us in a sales capacity here. And based on the need that they were hearing, there were financial needs that were Uh, asked for and needed to be met not only from a company standpoint, but from a participant standpoint that were addressed. But the real need was to really step in in a humanistic standpoint to help their community in a very different way. So those these five individuals got together every afternoon after taking care of what they needed to do in the morning. And they delivered food throughout their greater community every afternoon, seven days a week for more than five weeks, the people who just could not leave their house. And that is not only doing what they needed to do to serve our existing client base together, but their broader community to bring the, what needed to be done together and becoming those not only first financial responders, But that has brought those perceived competitors together in a unit and provided a service unlike anything that I've really heard around the rest of the country, specifically when people are trying to help from a financial standpoint. Our entire industry is about people and stepping in when people need help, really whatever capacity that's needed and coming together in order to make sure that we get through any particular issue or crisis. Financial first responders at a difficult time and a level head in volatile times. Bob Carroll of Mass Mutual, thank you for sharing your perspective with our listeners today. Gil, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad you said that I wasn't older than the Civil War and it was just the company. 
<laughs> That's right. I'm glad you clarified that distinction. I definitely intended it in that way as well. And thank you, listeners. If you found this podcast of value, consider passing it on to other advisors to keep this FA project growing. This is Gil Weinrich for Seeking Alpha.